1: So this week's guests uh, may have the distinction of being the having the most uh, name drops and mentions prior to his appearance uh, of any other guest that's ever been on this podcast. Uh, he is—that's uh, only because you interviewed all my ex bandmates. So you know. I did. <laughs> uh, he is. Uh, you guys already have heard. His There's name no before, other yeah. reason for anybody. to be- <laughs> Air type eleven instruction God fires man he's done it all the same Vitus bar for fuck's sake and uh I finally got the finally got the sack to uh to hit him up and ask him to be on ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Artie Shepherd to why did we ever meet Artie, thanks for coming on, dude <laughs>
0: thanks man yeah, yeah dude. You having me
1: yeah, so we were just talking uh prior to this um you know i mean we're Life is starting to get into, uh, back into the swing of things. So, uh, how, how are you feeling? You're a business owner. You're a dad. Are you starting to feel a little better about all this shit?
0: Well, uh, I mean, I'm sitting in right now. Now we, we were open from May 1st on of last year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but with the restrictions and all the stress and the bullshit, um, and, uh, and my daughter, we put her in Catholic school so she could be in person. So yes. we didn't have any homeschooling at all, yep. which was, you know, so I've, I've kind of been in like, Oh, you know, creating my own reality of normalness, yes. um, for a year now. Yep. Uh, but yeah, the, it's, uh, things are moving really quickly, a lot quicker than, uh, I had anticipated or anybody had anticipated, mm-hmm. especially here in New York, because it was just so bad here. It was like, you know, it was like for last year, like April and May, there was just nobody on the street. The only thing you heard were hospital or ambulances going by. It was like just, a, it, it was incredibly surreal. And yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people who have a lot of trauma from that experience of yeah. living here. Mm -hmm. And through what we went through, because it's just like, everybody's on top of each other here. There's no way around it. Uh, You know, this, I, I, I bought this place three months before the pandemic hit. So yeah. (laughs) So like, I literally was like starting at zero and, and and I was like, wait, so I can't be open. Like what the fuck? And, you know, at, at the time we didn't know if we were ever going to be open, you know, it was just like, just crazy. And all the renegotiation you have to do with landlords. And, you know, I I got really lucky that, you know, I, I I have cool landlords and people who are really willing to play ball is, you know, uh, not just be greedy fucks and take all the money. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, things are, things are definitely getting back to normal. You know, it's like traffic is a hundred times worse than it used to be (laughs) in New York, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and people drive like extra special assholes now. It's like I don't know what the fuck happened, but every every car on the road, there's at least one time a day, or two times a day, where some souped up like infinity or Nissan <laughs> Japanese car, yeah, that has one of those mufflers on it. It's just like <gasps> I was like, what the fuck, man? And they're doing like a hundred miles an hour on the shoulder. I'm like, what is wrong with people? Anyway it's it's uh, all so that's dude. you know. Yeah. It, it's getting back to the the fucking serious stresses of living in New York City. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the I, nightmare I definitely am, I'm feeling I, you know, it, it's funny cuz I'm sure Adam talked about like, you know, how different his life is in California. Yeah. And you know, it's like whenever I talk to him about that, I'm just like, "Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't I'm almost 50 and I'm not I don't know if if I'm ready to leave, man, you know, yeah. like, I, I don't know what I would do, but right, right, yeah, it's. Well, I mean, it's just it's so much it's so much more fucking stressful than any place else in the world, yeah. you know. It's like just the hustle and bustle and the constantly like having to do better, bigger, better, more. You know, it's right. like I, I don't give a shit about that stuff. I never have, you know. Yeah. It's like yeah, like what I didn't open Saint Vitus to to I didn't open Saint Vitus to have like a, you know, uh a famous music venue i opened it to own my own bar right you know it's like but then lo and behold it just happens and then the next thing you know you're like negotiating you know buyout deals and stuff and i'm like i don't know how to do any of this shit (laughs) but whatever you know you go for it you see what happens yeah and and i just didn't want to have a regular fucking job anymore i like (laughs) yeah you don't want to sit at a fucking desk or, or or at the No I never I never have. I've never had a job like that but yeah. I was bartending like 5 days a week, 6 days a week, which okay. is like just destroys your it destroys everything in your life. Yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, and the the hours are fucking terrible. <laughs> you know, your sleep schedule is all fucked up. Yes, yeah. The hours are terrible, you drink too much. <laughs> you know, it's uh it turns your world upside down and you yeah. uh, know it wasn't until I had a kid that all of that sort of like force, like life forced its hand on me. Right. Where I couldn't, I couldn't do that shit anymore, but you know, whatever. Well,
1: um, I, as I was joking in the intro, like you were probably the most name dropped guest on the show. And like you said, I've had like, I had Adam and, uh, and Steve both on the show and I've had, uh, Joseph Grillo on, but, um, from a personal perspective, uh, you represent, uh, like, when all of this stuff—you know, you're, you know, a punk rock kid, hardcore kid—you get into all the post-hardcore, emo stuff, whatever you call it. Um, Airtype Eleven was one of the, it was one of the bands that I hear and go, "Oh shit, this is an actual rock band. This isn't, yeah. This is like these guys give a shit about playing rock and roll. Your voice is a rock and roll voice, like every it was. It represented all of this good." shit to me. It was like, no, they're not, they're not placating to anybody. This is a band that wants to, wants to just be a rock band. They're not worried about catering to a scene. This is what they like. This is what comes out of them. So a- as a guy who has like a punk rock and hardcore background, what, how do you, how does it uh, weigh in on your songwriting? Like, because your songwriting is so much different than, than uh, many of your peers. How does, you got this. You know, everybody has a similar punk or hardcore background, but your songwriting is way different.
0: How? Where's the distinction? Yeah, I mean, I, the distinction is really being uh, growing up listening to a lot of classic rock. I mean, mm-hmm. I even with you know, with Mind Over Matter when all yeah. when that you know when we started becoming like when we came into our own and we weren't just playing like shitty hardcore um i was taking influence from yes and genesis and like uh, and and then of course the metal version of that boy Bod. Yeah. um you know i i just really wanted to do something that was different it was you know I, and i was lucky enough to be able to to at at that age to be playing with guys who were capable of of doing that so like what i was writing was really more of a vision and the rest of the band was really putting it together in a a cohesive way because they were much better musicians than me that's uh has been my superpower throughout my (laughs) band life is surrounding myself with people who are better than me Mm -hmm. um so that they can sort of interpret whatever's going on in my head a lot of times what i write in my head i'm not capable of playing so i have to sit there and like figure it out and then you know luckily i'll have another guitar player or a bass player or a drummer that's capable of actually pulling it off. So that started up very early, but you know, uh, in between mind matter and air type starting, I was in world's fastest car with Walter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like that was, that was a major crazy experience. I was 22, you know, the the, quicksand is my favorite band, like at the time and still is. And, uh, you know, like he called me up and was just like, Hey, I'm breaking up quicksand. I want to be in a band with you. And I'm like, uh, Okay. <laughs> Holy like shit. totally fucking crazy. Yeah. And we knew each other, you know, like it matter of matter, I would play with, I played with quicksand as the bad trip, which was mm-hmm. the other band I was in at the time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. And so like, you know, he was signed to Island Def Jam mm-hmm. and we were, you know, I was just thrust into this major label situation with a guy who is like my favorite songwriter. Right. You know, like, so it was, I call it Wally college like I, I went to Wally college for, for a year and a half. Yeah. And, uh, and just learned a lot about songwriting. I learned a lot about the industry. I, you know, I, I really thought that that I had made a decision at that point that I was going to be, this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I quit college, you know, I just went for it. Yeah. You know, and it was, uh, probably a mistake in, in, but you know, we all have our own ways of going about things, but anyway, like, the, that world like the world was very different too when Aerotype started it was like 1997 mm-hmm. and you know the the grunge thing had happened so there was like pop music at the time was rock music you know there there wasn't yes. you know it, it it it's not like now where pop music is like pop music you know Britney mm-hmm. Spears or Serena Gomez or whatever uh Selena mm-hmm. Gomez it, like so at the time you know you could turn on the Z-100 and all of a sudden you hear fucking Pearl Jam, you know, it's like, or Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Like that's just in, in 1990, had you told me that was going to be the case in 1990, I would have been like, no fucking way. Right. So things changed very, very quickly during that time. And the, you know, I'll always harken back to Nirvana. Nirvana was, Nirvana was the reason that Walter was in a position he was in and that, you know, that I was kind of like in a position as well. Everybody was getting major label record deals from, uh, you know, a lot of the bands didn't really make it, but they, they all got deals, you know, orange nine millimeter and quicksand and, uh, helmet and, you know, helmet probably was the biggest one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a really strange time. And I, I honestly wrote whatever was coming out. I mean, it's just like, there, there wasn't really a, I don't know. We did want to be a big rock band. That was kind of the intention because so many of the bands that we were touring with and playing with in our contemporaries were these like whiny, like emo bands that were just playing bad versions of Texas is a reason songs, you know, it's like, and, and to, you know, more power to them. Everybody starts somewhere, you know, like a lot of those guys went on to do cool shit, Uh, but uh, you know, it wasn't for us, at least for me, but Aerotype was a weird, things. Everybody was into different music as well. So, you know, he was into ska and pop punk and, and, you know, and Adam, Adam was coming out of Sasha. You know, so that was a weird one, but he was, his favorite band was Jane's Addiction, which was very much a thing for me as well in the early nineties. Jane's Addiction probably being the biggest influence on a matter. Like if you took Jane's Addiction and Unsane and collided them. That was pretty much what mind of a matter was. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, in a hardcore context, of course, because we were limited in how good we were as players, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, uh, I mean, but you know, all that changes you, as you move on, you get better. You want to write, you want to write real songs, you know, yeah. it's like, that's, I think it's a natural progression for almost anybody, especially people coming out of the hardcore and punk scene, you know, it's you're either going to start playing metal or you're going to start playing alt rock. One or the other, right? You know? And sometimes right. they combine. So. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm mean, like, I mean, you know, eventually, Airtype started embracing this idea of like big. We, we called it power drinking rock. Was what our our little tagline was. Yeah, yeah. But the shows were, you know, in New York at least, the shows were a big party. That was the whole thing. It was like, you know, we were drunk. The crowd was drunk. Everybody was like, it was a back and forth thing where like people were spitting shit at me the whole time and I was just coming back at them. And I was like, you know, of course I have the microphone, so I'm always going to win. Yeah. But, well, every time. It, you know, but it was cool. It was like a, it was like an improv comedy show. Um, and, 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 I got really good at, at that stuff. And, uh, but it unfortunately didn't really translate to the rest of the country. Like sarcasm doesn't really exist uh, right. outside of New York city, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Like I was definitely, and it definitely doesn't exist in places like Germany where they were just like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? You know, it, it's definitely, definitely a weird one. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's uh it, it's been, it was, it was a weird ride and yeah. I got, I got my, I, I got a lot of trouble during that time for shit I would say on stage. And, you know, luckily the internet didn't exist at the yeah. time. So I got away with a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but we were just having fun, you know, it was like, but uh, unfortunately the, the show had overshadowed some of the song aspects and, right. you know, it was, uh, and to my bandmates, my mates weren't, weren't always behind the, uh, the show aspect of the whole thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, that was the weird part about it because people started like being like, Oh, that guy's an asshole. It's like, but then if, I, when I wasn't on stage and we were just hanging out, you know, it was just like this is just a stage thing. It's like, yeah. you get up there and you're yeah. nervous and you just say things, you know, it's yep. like, and it was, it was fun. And, and, you know, part of punk rock, or at least for me was getting a reaction. Yes. And, you know, that, that was like, whether good or bad, at least I got something out of these kids. Cause like, for the most part, you know, you'd be playing a basement in South Dakota and it's just this. Yes. And they're like right in front of you. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like, so I would always go after the guy who looked the bored, most bored, and I'd be like, Hey man, or it's like screaming in their face <laughs> or like, you know, it's just like, I don't know. Like that, that, that whole scene just seemed like, like no fun, you know, it was just like no fun at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, but it was cool. Like, you know, and then we'd stay. go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Keep going. No, like then we'd, you know, we'd stay at the, the person, we'd stay at the person's house who we were, we were, uh, you know, play in their basement, and we'd have a great time. Yeah, you know, so it's like, it was fun. You just had to like drag, drag it out of them. You know, it's like, I don't know. You know, for for every non fun situation, there was a tour with Hot Water Music, which was super fun. So you know, sure. I, yeah, it, it, we we figured it out.
1: It <clears throat> and there is this weird, um, there's this weird change and like this transition in live show crowds too, where like punk rock and hardcore shows are, are chaotic and immersive and people were, you know, it was interactive and, you know, you're cutting to now where you're talking about like, you're playing a basement show and these kids are standing with their arms crossed. You're like, what the fuck happened? Like three years ago, you guys were all, yeah. beating the shit out of each other, and now you stand there fucking arms crossed as a rock show. Uh, I mean,
0: <laughs> they, they grew up a little bit though. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I, the thing about that scene, The thing about that scene is that there's a lot of very smart, very sensitive, you know, kids going through these weird transitions in life and, and, you know, being in the bands, you were just coming through their town and your interaction was very short, you know? So it was like, like only in retrospect, can I, at the time I didn't give a fuck, but like, you know, in retrospect now, I can see it. It's like, it's an awkward age. Mm -hmm. A lot of those kids were in awkward age. They're like, Again, uh, I, I, you know, one of the great things about the type of touring that that I did with, especially with Aerotype and, and, and whatnot, was that I made lifelong friends. Yeah. So I mean, there are people that I met on tour who I'm still friends with. And, you know, like we all kind of met at these awkward times in our lives, you know, and yeah. people were tr- still trying to figure out who they were. And, you know, like you're, you're going in, you're playing to the 20 misfits in, in, from that town yeah <laughs> Yep. it's it's uh you know like you don't realize that stuff when it's going on, but that's the that's the reality of it, you know, yeah. like you're not playing to the cool kids, none of these people were cool, no you know <laughs> and they were all the same kids that were until at show, until too. i don't know yeah you know right, like that. exactly i mean yeah, you'd go play Gainesville and it's the same people you know right. I, I, so yeah I, it, it was like you know we had our we had our on long island and uh, like but there was one of those in every town across suburbia you know so they and and it was it's a pretty amazing the the um the the network of people and how you know pre-internet like how i mean even we go to we go to europe we'd literally just like get in a van Get get on a plane, God. get off in Frankfurt, just meet up with a guy in a van and have a fucking map. Yeah, I mean, you know, be like, uh, all right, where are we going? You know, it's like, I, I remember Mind Over Matter playing. We played in Pitea, Sweden, um, yeah. which is in basically in the Arctic Circle. It's like the most northern part of Sweden. Jesus. And it was daylight 24-7 at that time. It was like oh, God. so surreal. It was like, what am I doing here, man? Like. You know, we were sitting on a beach at 3 a.m. It's broad daylight, drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels with a bunch of German kids who took their vacation to follow us around Sweden. And, I, I, you know, it's like I think back to it. I'm like, that's just fucking crazy. I don't know if I would let my daughter do it. You know, like, I don't care how old she is. Like, fuck that. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. But it was fun.
1: My son will be 15 this year. And I think of situations I was in at his age. I go, There's no fucking way I'd oh. ever let him be in no the dumbass way. situations that I was in. Like, never. You know, no, no way, at least unsupervised. Like, I think about, like, it, you know, in high school, like, four or five people in a car going to a show. You know, we, there was no – you weren't, ca- you know, letting your parents know how you were. There was none of that because you're so fucking you, – there there was yeah. no cell phones. There was none of that shit. It blows me away when I think of you guys touring. Like, I, every time I talk to somebody – about this and you guys are talking about those early years of touring. I don't like, I don't know if people fully grasp, like you didn't have phones. You weren't, you you know, you, you couldn't do the shit that it's so easy to do that stuff. Now you guys were doing some Lewis and Clark
0: shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and it's true. And, and also like, I got to say that what, what was crazy to me was seeing how international, like, especially the New York hardcore scene, which is such a well-known thing, but, right. It, it, you know, it, in Europe at the time, they were about, like, five or six years behind New York. So, okay. you know, it's like, like, Gorilla Gorilla Biscuits was just happening in the early 90s. You know what okay, I mean? Like, gotcha, like they yeah. were still just, there was a lot of that scene was still being discovered. Yeah. And so, like, you know, we went over, we went over, a bad trip I went over with twice, Mind Over Matter, I think three times. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it it really was a testament to how amazing that scene had been able to branch out. Uh, I mean, I was I went to Japan with World's Fastest Car, and like the, we went to a record store to do like a signing or some shit. And Japan is fucking crazy, population city. And he's like, "Favorite band? Can you sign?" I'm like, "How do you even have this?" <laughs> like I had. There's distribution in Japan. I mean, nowadays you just go on Spotify, right? anything. But like, this was like the most mind blowing experience for me. But again, it's like it showed. Like, it was small, of course. You know, it's it's all it's all like a a subset, microcosm, underground thing. But it was very international, and it it was amazing to me how it translated and how these people were able to get their hands on this stuff because it wasn't easy. No, no. And it's, it's, no, fab- I mean, it. it's, it, 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 I'm
1: amazed when you see like what music catches on somewhere else too. That always blows my mind. Where a band that, you know, would have come from like punk rock that goes, you know, has this massive fan base overseas. Like how the fuck did that distribution work that that band blew up somewhere else in some part of the world and over here they're playing they're playing bars they're playing you know house
0: shows or whatever like that Well, usually usually it would be how much money was spent on marketing for their record. but that's true too you know yeah, like yeah. You take uh, take takeboy sets fire for example who are massive in germany right. but just germany yeah. like i mean they're, they're they're popular here but like in germany they play to like 4000 people they have their own festival yeah, it, yeah. it's it's crazy and and I think it's because they were – I think they were signed to BMG over there, and there was a shit ton of money behind a couple of their records. Okay. And so – and they had, like, songs on the radio. You know, it was like – there was just a – more of a backing for them. Right. Over there, and it just clicked. At point, you know, it's, it's all kind of just throw it out there and see what happens. Like, right. nobody has the money yeah. to – to spend a lot on marketing for stuff that they're not sure is going to sell. But anyway, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it, it was all, it was all like all of those experiences were great, uh, great breeding ground for what was going to happen in my life later on. Yeah. You know? So it's like, you, you do get to a point where you're just like, I, I don't, I like, first of all, I can't sleep on anybody's floor anymore. I can't do that. Understood. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, it's like, it took a long time for that to happen, <laughs> but you know, once, once, like, once instruction happened, that was it for me. I was just like, okay, like, you know, once you play for a hundred thousand people and you do all this like crazy shit, and yeah, you know, like you're staying in hotels and people are flying you're around all over the place, it's like, okay, I, I don't know if I can go back to sleeping on floors, plus, I'm yeah. too old, yeah, and, and I, you know, eventually as as- a, as a singer, you need to get some sleep, which was something that, you know i had the hard way of learning <laughs> um but yeah man it, you know like airtype was airtype was a w- again was a good breeding ground, but like you were saying like we were we were very much a rock band, yeah, in a scene that didn't want to hear rock bands, yeah, and you know like uh, when we did amplify to rock i my voice had changed a lot uh in the year of touring, and you know because it's you know you're playing basements there's no monitors the yep. the guitars are super loud you can't hear yourself so you just wind up screaming essentially so to hear yourself right so my voice changed into this like ar, ar, like fucking not quite the guy from creed but you know <laughs> as much as a guy could sound like that in that scene and uh and it was unfortunate but it was just the way it was you know so i was always pushing and pushing and like and i kind of realized after amplified came out that like we're like we're too Rock for the emo scene, but we're too emo for the rock scene. Yeah, and it really like my voice was something that should have been heard on modern rock radio, and so like, that was kind of the push that we went we went for, and and uh, it was uh you know we got we went through every basically got passed on by every label like everybody. So I mean, and it, and we eventually got signed to a, a publishing deal with EMI. Um, okay, and then uh, which. Our lawyer, our lawyer passionately told us not to sign because it was quite possibly the worst publishing deal in the history of the world. Yeah, I mean, probably not as bad as like the 60s bands who signed away their whole life. Right. But like, this was like, it was nothing. I mean, I, I think we got like five grand each or something. And then it was all this back end stuff. Like, if we got signed to a major label, it would be $150,000. When the record came out, it was $150,000. Yeah. But uh, like, the way it was structured, when eventually, when instruction got dropped from Geffen, they dropped all the other writers, so they dropped to Adam and they dropped like all the other guys that were signed to the deal, right but they kept me, and I inherited their debt so uh. it was quite possibly the worst deal ever, but you know I, I digress, but the, the uh, you know so whatever, we signed this deal and and, um, and then Phil the guitar player quit yeah where we were sitting there in the room and phil left and it was like you know we, we there was no hard feelings it, i mean a little bit because i was like you just made me sign this shitty publishing deal and now you're quitting like, right what right so but the uh, so, so I, I like he left the room and i was And we're going to use what songs we have. And we're going to write a whole bunch more. And I guarantee we'll have a major label record deal in six months. And that's exactly what happened. It was literally like, I I went home, I wrote like eight songs. We played as a three piece for a while. Okay. And then, and then eventually Tom, and then eventually Tom joined the band. Yeah. uh, And we recorded, we recorded like eight songs and then we got offered to go to England. And, it was like, hey, you guys want to come over here? To a uh, hundred reasons was really big at the time, and they were doing an, a, a, an underplay at the Underworld in Camden uh, for a Christmas show, and okay. they were putting together this big lineup of like five bands. And they were like, do you guys want to come over and play? It'll be, you know, instructions first show. So our first show was a sold out show in camp in London. Jesus Christ! And they were they also the people who were. Agreed to manage us. 100 Reasons Management agreed to manage us in in England, and they were like, "Look, the you know, the the right people are going to be at this. Like, Kerrang's going to review it. Yeah, the, the, this booking agent's going to be there. This person's going to be there. This label's going to be there. Just come over here and kick ass." Yeah. So we did, and yeah. it was incredible because everything they said was going to happen happened, and it was like literally, we I, I got off stage the next day. I get, I get a call and it's like, "Hey, do you guys want to tour with Hells for Heroes in three weeks?" You know, and it was like, "Yes, okay." And, <laughs> I mean, and I, you know, I at the time it was the only desk job I ever had in my life. I was working um, at a stock photography agency okay. in the city, and uh, and so, but like my job was international, so I was I was the international stock rights whatever person. So yeah. I would always I would use. I could use the phone to call England. I could use the, the traffic department to send packages to, to you know what I mean? So I was just like <laughs> using all the shit that I was allowed to use. I, I mean, I remember I did an interview with Kerrang! on my lunch break. And, you know, it was like, it was my first experience, real experience with the with the English press. And I just said all sorts yeah. of crazy shit. And, and they were like, you know, and that, of course, when the article comes out, that's the big headline. Of we course. were also very lucky that the editor of Kerrang! at that time, was the world's biggest Glassjaw fan, so the fact that we were oh. from Long Island made it like, yeah, it was like there was a lot more interest because of, you know, this guy's taste in music. But anyway, so yeah, so we go over, we 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 did the Hells for Heroes tour. While we're on that tour, they're like, you guys want to come back in three weeks and tour with Funeral for a Friend? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we're on that tour, and they're like, hey. And, and so this at this point this is fucking hilarious i'm working so the company i work for had an office in london so especially on the hell's for heroes tour i went over there and i would go to king's cross so basically the way these tours would work these fucking english bands are so like spoiled they'd, yeah. they'd be on a bus but they go home every day so it's like you know like unless you once you got up past manchester then it was like too much to come home but yeah. like when we were playing all around london it was literally like yeah, we're, we're going to go home every day. So I would go back to Kingston yeah. and, and we're, where we were staying on this guy's floor. And I basically lived on this guy's floor for like six months. And, and, uh, and I would get up and get on the, on the tube to King's Cross work in the morning. Because of the time difference, I was able to, to do the work from New York. Yeah. And then I, I would meet up with the guy somewhere and get back on the tube, show. And it was literally that went on for weeks, and it was like after the you know. Like, so then we did Funeral for a Friend, then we toured with Biffy Clyro, but at that point we had found out that we were going to be on the main stage at Download Festival. Okay,
1: bless you, thank you. And Allergy,
0: sorry. <laughs> we were going to be on the main stage at Download, and and we're gonna we were going to play Reading and Leeds, which was a total dream. Of mine. Like I couldn't believe this. So <clears throat> we're touring with Biffy, which. Now is a big deal. Back then, it was not a big deal. They were not a popular band. Right. Like, now they're, like, the fucking Foo Fighters, you know? It's yeah. Like, it's like just huge. But they I were incredible people, back then. I don't know that I know people understand that, but, uh, that
1: here. I, like, I don't know no, that they the don't. music fans understand They don't. That. But, I mean...
0: Yeah. And and it's, you know, there's nothing wrong. Like, it, they were on a small indie, indie label that wouldn't put out their records early on here in, right. in America. Right. So, you know, like, and, and Big Claro's the type of, like they, these band, these English bands, like, I don't think many of them realize that if they weren't English, none of this shit would happen for them or they weren't UK. Like, they're Scottish, yeah. but yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like because it's such a small Island and it's the reason why instruction toured over there constantly, because we could go on a two or three week tour, get a lot of real estate under our belt. You know what I, I mean? Like the play a lot of, and, and get a shit ton of press in a very short period of time. Right. And that shit just fucking compounds on itself. And we didn't have to quit our jobs. So that yep. was like the whole, the, the the give and take of that whole situation. I, you know, it, at that point, we, there was a huge, like by the time we went on tour with funeral for a friend, there was a bidding war. Over us. So it was like Hollywood records, of course, and Geffen, and there was one other label, but Hollywood Records offered us three hundred and sixty thousand dollars non-recoupable cash advance, right? Okay. Three hundred and sixty thousand fucking dollars. I would have had a hundred grand in my back, in my pocket, right? Right? Like it, this is insane. And we turned it down because Geffen was offering eighty grand, but we wanted a quote-unquote career, and Hollywood was well known for shelving bands. Okay. So you know, it was like, in retrospect, I mean, I, we also would, I still am very good friends with a lot of the staff at Geffen who were involved in our signing. Sure. So, I mean, they, they were way more fun to hang out with. Let's put it that way. Okay. But, like, <laughs> I and got it you. was nuts. Like, you know, like the, the the experience of all that was just crazy. But, I, I mean, in retrospect, again, I should have just taken the money and run. Like, I, I was just so naive that, you know, I was going to be given a, a chance even to have a second single, we didn't even have a chance, you know, it's like, but at the time we were just so hyped and, and we were really, really popular in England, which was just incredible. And then we go over with Biffy, we play that tour, which was really small. And then we play the main stage at download festival. So there's a hundred thousand people. Right. And like that experience was, it was a game changer for me. I mean, I, you know, you just like, it was crazy because we, we played at 11.45 in the morning and oh, man. everybody was sitting down in, in the field. So, you know, it was like, they're not going to stand until a band gets on stage. Sure. So like Steve Lemack, or like one of these BBC DJs gets up, introduces, you know, hey, what's up, download, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is the first year of download. Everybody go, you know, blah, 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 whatever. It's like, and uh, this is instruction. And we played a, uh, like, when, when he walked out, everybody stood up. And you could literally feel the energy of like seventy five to hundred thousand people standing up at once. Fuck. It was wild, like wild. And I'm just standing off on the side of the stage and like, holy shit. So, but this was just the beginning of this day, which was just, I mean, I can't even. So we play the show, right? Yeah. And we get off stage. We go. We go to the to the canteen. I just start fucking pounding beers. <laughs> I, I'm just like we. we you know, it, it was just surreal. We stayed at our drum tech's mom's house the okay. night before. Okay. And I didn't get to bed till 3.30 in the morning, and we had to load in at 8 a.m. Oh. So I was, like, super tired. Like, you know, I played the show. It was only 25 minutes, I think. And so I'm sitting in the canteen. Billy Corgan sitting next to me. Right? I'm like, what's up, Bill? You know, I, I think I pounded, like, six Tallboys. Like, granted, they were probably Carlsbergs. But, like, I mean, yeah. I was just like, and I'm like getting my food. I'm like eating. Yeah. We hadn't been off. We hadn't been off stage maybe 20 minutes. My manager comes up to me and he's like, Hey, Artie, do you guys want to play again? A band canceled on the second stage. And, uh, you know, they, they missed their flights or whatever. It was, it was actually Chevelle who we would later oh. tour with. Okay. And, um, and I, w- I was like, yeah, of course we want to play again. You know, it was in, it was in at the time download was only two stages. So it was like a, a tent that was like yeah, ten thousand yeah. people and yeah. then the main stage which was like 100 000. so so we rushed over to the stage we were supposed to borrow flogging molly's gear and we get up to the stage and like flogging molly's texts are like unplugging everything and i was like oh man we're supposed to borrow the gear like no you're not and we're like what shit so you know and this is like i think i had we had cell phones at this point so, okay. so i was like call my manager like hey yeah. dude um we got to get the we got to get our gear over here. So, go get the van, bring the van all the way across, which was like no easy feat. And when i when I walked up on the side of the stage, I saw there was a really large curtain, and it was like, wait, what? Like, and there was a huge tractor trailer out to the side, which I would later find out is where Metallica keeps their amps. Holy! And I'm like, fucking Metallica's playing after us. Like, what? So, and and this was like this. There was a couple of rumors about this. It's in Saint Anger. It's not Saint Anger. It's it's well, it's uh, in um some some kind of monster, some kind of monster. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. This yeah. whole thing. So 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 they, you know, so so Metallic is going to play the small stage, right? Yeah. The small stage, and we play we play the first song, piss me off again. I remember playing it, and and like you know. it, Things were feeling really good. There was about like maybe five thousand people in the tent. Yeah, and and uh and I'm like, hey everybody. Uh, so there's a bunch of amps back there with M's on them. Um, Metallica's playing after us. I just want to let everybody know right now. So like, I totally let the cat out of the bag. I was like, if anybody who's got a good spot here, stay. Just stay. Holy Within shit! Within five minutes, there's no less than fifty thousand people in this tent. And so we get to play to like all these people again, it dragged everybody away from the main stage. I don't know who was playing. And, and like, so it, Metallica actually didn't play after us brand new did. And then, and then Metallica played. And it was like, it was so surreal. Like me and Adam were standing. There's a great picture of me and Adam from that, from that where We're like, we're just standing here with beers, like just going like, yeah. And it was so funny. Cause Jesse from brand new was out in the crowd and he, like, had his back turned. He's sitting on a pole. And I was like, dude, and I knew him. I sort of knew him from Long Yeah. I was like, dude, how sick is this? We, we just opened for Metallica. And he's like, yeah, I'm not a big fan. I was like, "Go oh, fuck yourself. Fuck off. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, dude. Like, I don't even care. I don't care how shitty they got at that point. No. It was just like, how cool is this? Like, what an amazing day. So and, anyway, from that, show, from that day, we were the only band to ever get two 5K reviews in one issue. For, for the live shows. And it was like, everything just went from there. And, you know, and, and we signed a Geffen right after yeah. that, that. I was at, at that point, I was $25,000 in credit card debt. Cause I had been paying for every $25,000 credit card debt. And I had $50 in the bank. I had lost my job. I was just like, I needed to get, I needed to get this record deal. Right. Right. Cause it was, it was that, or I was like, I was just screwed. Right. So, you know, we got our we got our measly advance, and uh, you know, I started. I paid. I basically paid the minimum on that card for I don't know five years, <laughs> like that. maybe more. <laughs> I think I I finally paid it off in like 2010 or 11. <laughs> <laughs> Just before, before Oh, Okay. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, it was it was. It was and uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, then then we were writing in Leeds, which yeah. was there, there. There's a video for a song called "Rise Up." Played in Leeds, and then we played Brixton Academy with opening for Stained, which was ridiculous. I mean, it was awesome to play there. Yeah, but like, I mean, whatever. I'm a, I have so many stories from that fucking show. So, so lame. anyway, so you like? But, uh, yeah, and then we then we got home and we. Moved out to Los Angeles to record records, you know, like it was wild. So uh, that that's something too. Like, you guys played with
1: massive fucking bands, like huge bands, and like that. It's crazy to me because I think about like that. Those are the dudes from like Air Type, (laughs) like they're and they're playing with these huge like but what is what is that like that tra- like that transition has to be surreal from like touring in a van playing a you know playing a basement show playing a bar and now you're playing in front of fucking 100,000 people and you know I don't know Lincoln Parker. Well,
0: you know in all honesty we were still in a van you know yeah. and and, uh, and you know our road crew was our road crew was our friends Yep. you know it's like and, and it's funny when you say like this stuff about like you know, like you knew us from era type. you know, like when we were touring around the country, we would always like, you know, we're still friends with all the people that we knew whether yeah. they were in bands or promoters or just like people, you know, I don't call them fans cause they were more friends. And, and, you know, it's like, we put them on the guest list for the arena show with corn. And they'd just be like, Holy shit, dude, be serious yeah. with this. I'm like, yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, we really wanted to spread the love as much as possible. It's like, uh, I mean, you know, even bringing Joe into the band. Yep. Um, you know, he was paid a, he was paid a salary yeah. to be in the band. And, it, it, you know, at the time there was definitely grumblings within the band that it was like, well, Artie's is bringing his friend into the band because, you know, he wants another person on his side. And, uh, you know, it was like it, that, that, that band was an insanely disappointing experience in a lot of ways, because it really proved that once money gets involved, everything turns to shit. Yeah, You know, it would like, it lost its spirit and, and uh, um, which we had when we were in England and it very much so was because the label over here waited a year and a half to put our record out. Sure. And at that point we were in the machine at that point. And, you know, like we were touring with Puddle of Mud and Papa Roach and like, I, you know, Three Days Grace. Uh, like, I mean, I, I've never felt more out. Of, I, I, I felt more out of place in that than I, than I did with Eritai playing with emo bands. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It was just, it was it was a crazy experience. I mean, like, it, you know, Corn is just a band that, like, I, they're great guys. And, you know, I, I have li- a lifetime full of stories from those tours, but... Sure you know, like I just felt so out of place on stage and, and of course. it really it culminated. I don't know if Adam told this story, probably not, but what, one of the, no, but like the, uh, one of the, the best stories. To, uh, so we got thrown off the corn ship tour twice, I believe. And um, the one big one was because I called out the lightning guy. Cause he wanted kickback money, which is like a common thing on those tours. They're yeah. not supposed to take it. Cause they're all, all union. Yeah. And, but you, you throw the monitor guy, a couple extra bucks or the lighting guy, a couple extra bucks and you get like a better show. Yeah. So this, I gave this guy the record and, uh, and the next day we played at a H- hard rock live in Orlando and we literally played in the dark. And it was like, I was like, I'm not, I said, on, I was like, so I go up on the, to the mic and I'm like, so this is the lighting guy's way of saying he wants to make money or he wants money is what I said. I said it on mic, <laughs> and Oh boy. I was like, immediately, I got a call from my ma- manager right after that. He's like, you guys are on the door." And I was like, why? And he's like, oh, the guy's an asshole. He made us play in the dark. You know, like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it was like, I had to go and apologize to this 21-year-old little shit and, and to the production manager. And as I'm walking on stage at the next show, the guy's like, I don't know if you're going to have monitors. I don't even know if the PA is going to be on for you. Because all these people around here, they all hate you. And I'm like, Christ, dude, that's cool. (laughs) But it actually turned, it actually worked out to our advantage because the guy's boss actually took over doing lights and did an amazing job for us because he was severely embarrassed by the whole situation. Yeah. But so, so, but this was common on this, on this fucking tour. And like, you know, uh, the amount of times I would hear you suck and shit from the crowd is like, people were just there to see, I mean, God help me breaking Benjamin, fucking shoot me. But like, you know, I, 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 it was like they they were sending like just people were just screaming at us. so this show in Chicago at the Avalon ballroom, I'm like, Okay, I just I lost my cool. And one one of the crowd like that is you don't placate to the people in the front row. Right. Because nobody else knows what the fuck's going on. Right. Right. You know, you have to play to the back of the room. Yep. So this guy's like, you suck. Get off stage, you suck. I think he threw something at me, and I was like, I was like, hey, hey, what's up, man? I was like, yeah, yeah. You, are you in a band? And the guy's like, the guy's like, yeah, I'm in a band. I was like, that's cool, man. They must be really good because I don't know. I'm on stage, and you're in the front row at a fucking corn show. <laughs> 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 and, and like. I, it was like nobody was paying attention to us at all. As soon as I did that, I didn't insult the headlining band, like, and us for being bands. And I, I'd like, so the last song we would do was the a, a song called Your Punk Sucks. Yeah. And the the lyrics, the end of the lyrics are just fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And every night I would, and I would, you know, like, this time I jumped over the barrier and I'm screaming fuck you in this guy's face. And then I get on top of the barrier and I'm going to give the whole crowd the finger and I threw the mic and it was the loudest booze you've ever heard it was just like and it went on forever it just kept going and kept going I was like oh my god this is it was it was comical like we were in there was an elevator to the dressing room we're in the elevator and then I came out to meet some friends who were in the VIP area and they're still booing and they're like dude maybe you shouldn't go out there I was like I was like, they're not going to recognize me. There's no way, you know, no. it was like, but it was, it was so fucking funny. And to add insult to injury, that singer from disturbed was standing next to me and I'm just like, why are you here? The guy's like this big. Yeah. It, like, it was so fucking. I don't know why that, that stuck in my mind that that guy was there when this was happening. But You know, it, it was funny because I thought, I thought the band was going to be really upset with me and they were, they were like, well, you got a reaction. That's the first reaction we've gotten from this whole tour. So, you know, that's good. I, but yeah, it was the, those experiences were like were surreal, and it was like such a juxtaposition from the way we were accepted in the UK, right? And the the very there, and then America was just like, this is awful." I, awful. Wh- what what is the why
1: why is that so much different like you've experienced both on such polar fucking extremes what what happens over here i i never understood the
0: disconnect i used to think that it was because the music is more part of the culture there okay and but uh, i don't think that's the case more like uh, the UK has changed a lot because it used to be that the you know like the melody most powerful things you know like you got to write up in that or you were on the cover of that it was like a life changing experience you know and then then you 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 get a top twenty song and you're on top of the pops and that's like a whole nother thing you know it's like we don't have stuff like that here and yeah. you know now that Melody Maker's gone the enemy I don't even know if the enemy does print anymore. You know, it's like things. Things are definitely different, and yeah. I also saw how UK bands worship American bands. You know, where it used to be, like I would go over there and be like, "Oh, American bands, yeah." Like, you know, like, uh, like England has its own its own thing here. Like, you know, they it's like, nah, they were just like absorbing what American American bands did. They're throwing it back at you. Yeah, and, and you know, bands like Hundred Reasons and for heroes and all those bands that were popular. and it, it, you know it was like just which was crazy to me but yeah. you know at this time it was like going to cost so much money for them to get the attention that they were getting in england and in england they weren't spending a dime it was just happening you know right. it's like very the, the thing about england also is that the music industry it felt like it was run by about 20 people okay. and they all knew each other Yep. And they all would be like, you know, like, hey, uh, so I'm managing this band. You guys going to take it as, uh, you know, is the booking agent going to take it? Yeah, cool. Okay, cool. Like, and then the, the press guys, they all hang out with the bands and the managers. So everybody just hangs out together. Oh. So you're just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually like, and I'm, I'm like, I have lifelong friends who are writers and, and you know, they would hang out with us. So it was like this small little circle. Yeah. And that doesn't exist here. You know, and, and it, and it, it, again, it would cost so much money to market a rock band from England. This is why Biffy Clyro is nobody here. You know, sure. it's like, there's yeah. just, it's not worth it to them. They're ne- yeah. they're never going to get it, you know, but it's, uh, also Biffy Clyro doesn't have the cred they have in England because nobody here knows that they put out like four records before they started sounding like, you know, the Foo Fighters. So, right. right. Yeah. It's, right. you know, and, uh, they don 't sound like the blue band is am just kidding with that, but um I, actually they're one of my favorite bands in the world. I think they're absolutely incredible yeah um but yes yeah, so there there was like there was a distinct difference hey norma uh just could you lock the front door? Thank you um sorry, my porter is leaving um, okay. <laughs> you know instruction instruction ran its course we did we definitely did a lot and we had a a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, you did. We we also had some very difficult and uh, depressing situations. Like, so when we got, we were, we had a, we had made a video for the second single, which was called I'm dead, which was really the, that song was the reason we got signed. And we weren't even playing it on the corn tour that we were on at that time because it was too, too mellow. It sounded like you too. Yeah. And, you know, so, It was, it was really strange. Like they, they issued it. I think the video maybe got played once on fuse or something, but it actually went into the top 20 modern rock radio really after we got uh, shit. You're good. I can still hear you. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, sorry. My batteries just said it was low. Um, so anyway, they, it it was, it was interesting because like, we were like, wow, this is so wild. And you know, we, we, let they gave us a tour support to do this tour of England that we did with uh with this band A. And and then we got back and we basically we had decided we were going to break up on that tour, but we didn't tell the other guys. Yeah. So Steve Sanderson was in the drumming in the band at that point. Yeah. Um we had told him but we did like basically with the way that the our business was set up we basically had to break up to do anything in the future. Yeah. So that was like we just we got home and literally just didn't call Tom anymore. And okay, got together as as the the four of us and just played. Yeah, and that's where Godfather's Man came from. And that you know that band was incredibly focused. Um, you know, I, it was what was crazy about that. though was I got home. My girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, she had broken up with me uh, just before I went to England. And threw me out of the apartment I was living in. <laughs> so I, I was living with a friend on the Upper West Side. Um, and so basically I didn't really have a home and yeah. I had no money. Uh, I had no job. Ugh. When we got dropped, there's something called pay or play in most major label contracts where if you, know, you, you, you sign a contract and you get two guaranteed albums, right? Okay. And, then, and then you have options for more. Yeah. but the two the two are guaranteed, so if the label wants to drop you before you put out that second guaranteed record, right they have to buy your buy your contract out. well, the lawyers at Universal had found a loophole in our contract from our drummer who had quit now, Adam and I were supposedly the key members, which is what you have to create in order to avoid this whole thing yeah, so they found this this loophole, and we were supposed to go one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars or something to to get dropped to be bought out of our contract which would have been fucking awesome you know like holy shit kidding me no instead my manager at the time had to go and like basically use another band as collateral to get us some money he's like you oh you want to sign this band that i have well you got to give instructions some money so we wound up getting fifteen thousand dollars and that literally we we Tom had borrowed money from our manager, so we paid. And it's so crazy. I was sitting with Adam. I was looking for a job. I was trying to. I was trying to get a bartending job, and I had been going all day. You know, we were back from tour for maybe like a week. Yeah. And and I like he's like, why don't you just try this place? And it was this place called Apartment One Thirty Eight on Smith Street. Yeah. And I walked in, and I was like, Yeah, hey, I know. Like like I've been doing this all day, and I still had my like long hair and stuff so Yeah. I didn't, probably wasn't the most attractive candidate for a job. And the guy was just like, yeah, sure. Can you start on Sunday? I was like, yeah. And it, it's so crazy. I, I wound up working for those guys for the next five, six years. Yeah. And saved up enough money to be able to buy into or be part of St. St. Vitus when yeah. it started. So it was like, that was the, it was so crazy that Adam was just like, Adam was walking his dog and he's like, just try this place man just go for it right. no i wasn't going to and had i not it's it's so crazy like how different my life would be right now right, right? but yeah it was uh it's it's fucking crazy but during that whole time we were, like i said we we were called fires at the time and yes it was just like we were coming off the experience that we had with instruction it was just it was the best songwriting period i ever had personally it was like the best riffs i ever wrote right you know the best lyrics i ever wrote you know and uh and the other guys were playing incredible like everything they wrote was great um things just like happened we write these great songs and like not even know how we did it just be like i'd go to rehearsal and, like two hours later we're like holy shit yeah like this is, this is this is fucking amazing yeah and you know it, it was uh it, it was the best band i've ever played in but it was also the worst timing in history yeah so you know, and we did eventually, uh, you know, our first record after Adam and Steve quit, you know, uh, we brought in Drew from Into Another. Yeah. Uh, and this guy, John, played bass. And, uh, you know, we, we we were signed to a subsidiary of Universal. Okay. Um, You know, kudos to my manager, Bill McGathy because he, he paid for everything. He was like just a... a great as he puts his money where i, I enjoy, enjoyed and did one tour we toured we toured in england with hundred reasons and then we toured, uh, we toured with filter over here okay and uh, that was a weird one um yeah but uh and, and then then i i lent my van because we had gotten a small publishing advance and i lent my van to uh, um radio four i don't know if you remember radio fours the guys from guard variety they yes. were, they were on yep. like DFA, like yep. really awesome post-punk band. Yep. Old friends. Um, they were touring with Head Automatica and they barred my van while we were recording our second record and they flipped it on the Jersey Turnpike uh, and destroyed it mm-hmm. and, uh, and all their gear. And they got really hurt. It was, it was a, it was a major, it was one of those things where I was just like, once we lost the van, there was no impetus for us to to replace it or deal with it like it was just like well we don't have any transportation right you know let's put this record out which was put out by uh arctic rodeo yeah Uh, we went to europe we toured we toured in europe which was like the worst tour i've ever done i mean i I don't think more than six people showed up to any show god damn yeah and uh yeah it was (laughs) it was rough yeah um and we broke up in the airport on the way like when we were like, we were, cause Joe and I were going to England tour with Gay, Gay for Johnny Depp. Yeah. And, uh, we were sitting in the airport at Frankfurt. And it was like, eh, we're done guys. Right. It's like, yeah, we're done. You know, it was, it was uh, uh, it was sad, but that band, the band was fucking great. And yeah, <laughs> you know, musically it was, uh, inspiring and, you know, super fun. And, yeah. you know, like I really, really like, I, I just have, I, I have only fond memories of playing in that band. And I was also, you know, during instruction and during Godfather's man, I was in, Gave Johnny Depp with Joe, yeah, which was uh you know a whole different experience, I mean yes. it, it, at that time, "Gave for Johnny Depp was more popular than any band I had played in, yeah, so it was like the weirdest thing, and only in England, only in England, <laughs> and it, I mean I always like when I'm telling these stories, I forget that like in the off time, Joe and I were going over to England to tour with with the gays, yeah, and it was like those shows were crazy they were like i mean we headlined uh one of the weirdest things ever i mean i they gave me a wireless mic i literally left the building it was like in this big like i i just left i was wearing a sombrero in my underwear and i'm like out it was crazy and it was the only show i ever played sober with gave johnny Depp because they couldn't get any beer there was no beer backstage There was just frozen snickers bars so i was like throwing snickers bars at people and get like it was a shit show but it was great i mean it was like yeah. a legendary show but it, like those tours were were so crazy because we were basically playing the back pubs we were playing hardcore shows sure and yeah. 65 days of static which was like a instrumental techno thing okay it was the weird and they they brought us on tour just to to piss off their fans okay they were like, <laughs> like like they just want to see how people would react to us. It was like, they're not going to react well. I'll tell you that. Right. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of footage. of Dave up playing in, in England, that was like, those shows were, they were just insane. They were crazy. Yeah. And it was, you know, like taking my clothes off and all that shit. I literally did that. We played our first show at pianos in New York. And, and I, uh, I did that just because I, I didn't know what else to do. I was For like, sure. I don't have a guitar on my neck. And it's like this crazy music. And like, you know, I was like, I'm playing in a band that basically is like making fun of bands that sound like this. This right, is essentially what right, it was, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's as spazzy, screamo shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, give it your up was was a lot of fun and a lot of weird, a lot of weirdness, and yeah. it was it was cool because we all played characters, so none of us like actually were those people, you know, so we get on stage and you just turn into a totally different person. And that was all revolving around like Joe's theater, you know, theater degree and whatnot. Like he, he always enjoyed the theatrics of all that stuff. And I just kind of like went with it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was very much his, his vision, but, uh, I mean, there's some really good songs in all that. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it almost broke up my marriage numerous times, but (laughs) well, I don't think I was married for most of it, but yeah, it was just like it was like every tour I would do with different characters. So like one tour I was a priest, uh another tour I was like I was Iggy Pop. Yeah. Um, you know, like it was all like just different. It was it was really funny and uh, and fun yeah. to do. But yeah, like uh that's that's another band that, that once once we actually put effort into it, it was over. So like when sure. we did our last record, yeah. What doesn't kill you eventually kills you. Um we, uh, it was just like, yeah, I think we tried too hard and we should have just like kept not trying. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, so, so you've, but then I started primitive weapons out of that. Okay. So, so you,
1: you've, you've never stopped. <laughs> that's the, that's the theme here. You keep going and keep going. And it's, it's just, it's...
0: Well, you know, I always had a practice space. I had to use it. Yeah. True. You, know, you, you pay for practice. You pay for practice space here in New York. You got to use it, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, cut, um,
1: I'll cut all that. So yeah, so yeah, yeah, you're paying for practice space. It's not like New York's fucking cheap. You have to. Oh God.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, it's like when, when Primitive started, um, is right around when uh, St. Vitus opened. Okay, so uh, that was a, a really hectic time. But I, you know, I was also completely surrounded by music constantly. Yeah, and of course which uh which is which is when i thrive the most for sure mm-hmm. um but uh, you know it's like uh, yeah you just you just keep going it's like it completely sucks uh, i look back and i think about the amount of money i've spent right doing all this shit and i'm just right. like why why did you do that and then it's like well you've been around the world a couple times and it's you know it's it's you had these experiences that other people haven't had. And, yeah, you know, yeah. so it's it, all that stuff is all that stuff is great. But, right. you know, uh, like, should I have stayed in college? Probably. Sure. Um, you know, but again, like and Primitive Weapons is a, a good example of a band that like. I mean, the shit we get we did was incredible. Like, We played yeah. these insane shows. We, You know, I mean, granted, the shows we, we played at Vitus were obviously heavily influenced being the two of us we're in the band we're owners of the bar. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, but, you know, like we, we opened, we opened for refused, uh, like a secret late night show. Yeah. Cause refused wanted to use our gear, you know? So it was like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, like just show up. And that, that show was awesome. Those guys, they did, they did all covers except for two songs. Really? And it was like super They did like a Judas Priest song. They did black Sabbath song. Oh yeah. They were fucking awesome. Awesome. Oh, God, that's they, just such a killer night. But you know, eventually, um, uh, Primitive got signed to uh, Party Smashers, which is Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan's label. Yeah, um, and they took us out on tour quite a bit. So we had we had some pretty crazy experiences um, with all of that. Like we toured England with Dillinger on their farewell tour. Um, we did. Uh, we got taken out by Brooklyn Brewery, paid for us to to fly. We played in six different countries in seven days. It was, like, so insane. Yeah. Holy it was like shit. England. It was, like, England, two shows in Norway, a show in Finland, yeah. show in Munich, and we were staying at five-star hotels the whole time. It was, like, <laughs> it was so crazy. <laughs> I, I remember walking into those hotels and be like, wait, and we each have our own room? Like, <laughs> wow. We're not sharing one happen? room? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, how does, how do you guys... <laughs> How do you guys circle back to error type 11 because you've got that third the third LP that that came out and it was part of that the bundle of LPs well, uh
0: Arctic Rodeo put out. Yeah, it's, so so basically that stuff had been sitting around that was recorded like 2000 2001, okay? Um and uh uh it was like one of those things that I was just talking to Frederick one day from Arctic rodeo and, yeah. and I was like, we were, we had played, I guess we played in 2009 and then we played in 2011. Yeah. Um, and we, we just kind of like, we're hanging around playing shows every once in a while. Yeah. And basically that was all Adam. Adam was like organizing it and, sure. and whatnot. And I, you know, I was neither here nor there with it. It was, it's was fun to do, but it was, you know, some of it was a lot of tr- trouble, like the show's, we played it when we opened for shiner kid was being born so we had to have uh this guy matt Kane play which yeah. was like kind of like you know why are we doing this without phil right right you know it's like i mean matt did a great job but you know it was like and it was all because it was we get to play with Shiner again which we used yeah. to play with Shiner all the time back in the day yeah and uh you know and it was just it just was weird and like so the idea of this box set came about and you know frederick was going to put it out and then we had to choose because there was twice as many songs for that third record. Oh, holy shit. Um, and, uh, but a lot of them became instruction songs. So we, you know, didn't really want to go there. Right, right. Um. So, so yeah, we just did a, yeah, it just, it came out. It did, did pretty well. Yeah. And you know that we played, we played it at Vitus for the release of it and uh, we sold it out in 10 minutes. And I, you know, yeah, I was completely surprised. I was like, yeah. this is nuts. And and it would happen nowhere else but in fucking New York. <laughs> but the uh, it was uh it was just great and like, you know, such such a wild experience to you know, the old days. It was just like a big party. Yeah. And um and it was at my club, which was really cool. You know, yeah. it's like um which I I believe when we opened for braid at at Vitus, it's like another secret show thing. Yeah. And uh And I got on stage and I was like, so uh, yeah, you can either watch us or you can go to the you can ignore us and go to the bar and get a beer. I went either way. So (laughs) 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 everybody loved that. But what was weird about that is that there were there were a lot of metal kids who would come to Vitus all the time who had no idea that I was in Air type 11. Okay, I had no idea they even knew who Air type 11 was. And I remember I got on stage at that show. And I, I when we, we finished the show, it was like, people were like, I saw these kids singing along and I'm like, how the fuck do you know? They're like, dude, I love their type 11. I had no idea you were the singer. And I was like, I'm the singer. It's got longer hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it was wild. So that's basically how that happened. And then hot water asked us to play. And I, I had been, so basically during this time, I also, I played in a band called unwed with uh, Jason from Jason black. Yeah. Uh, and his wife, Nelty, uh, and uh, Jeff from Small Brown Bike, mm-hmm. um, who I'm currently playing in a band with now. Uh, and uh, so we did that, which was fucking great, man. Like, those songs were so good. The band was tight. Matt, Matt who filled in at er- with Eric type, was the good player. Um, again, surrounded myself with guys who are way better than me. It was <laughs> fucking great. Um, I mean, having Jason Black is just, like, as as far as musicians go, he is, like, incredible incredible yeah. like so the way that band worked was basically like jason wrote entire songs and i wrote entire songs okay and then we put the record together like write jason's bass parts you know so it's like it's like hey jay uh here's the bass part we were down at brian McTernan's uh studio in baltimore recording and and like jason did the bass he just plugged in direct into the board nothing he didn't do anything they reacted, he just literally plugged into the board and it's like I'm like, yeah, could you play it like this? And he's like, yeah. And see, hear him play, my bass lines was like, oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. You know what, <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's like, this guy knows how to play, this guy how to play bass. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, whereas, like, the stuff, he's making it feel, like, you know, the whole thing. And uh, it was really cool. And, and when that band, so I was playing in a band called Aegis before Unwed started. Yeah. And I quit Aegis, and, and then... Uh, Unwed started, Unwed did, went for two years, and then I rejoined Aegis. Yeah. And then Aegis put out a record on Arctic Rodeo. Yep. That is uh, one of my favorite records I've ever played on. It's a great record. Um, I played yeah. bass on it. It's a great record. Uh, yeah. it, like, you know, and kudos to those guys. Like, I, I was part of the arrangement, but the, the songs are theirs. Mm-hmm. And, um you know, I was like, I was, it was a great experience. We went to J. Robbins, mm-hmm. recorded the record, and it was like, just, it sounded awesome. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. just a cool, cool indie rock record. Yeah. You know, very much in the realm of hot snakes and, and whatnot, but, but, uh, uh, the singer Frank, I love his voice. You know, it's like, it's, it's fun for as much as I've been the lead singer. It's, it's also a lot of fun for me to kind of be a side guy and just like, sure. okay, like you're awesome. You do, you do things I can't do. Right. And therefore I love it and I want to be a part of it, you yeah. know? And yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, that that experience was really cool. Unfortunately, the band didn't do much. Um, we toured with the Get Up kids, um, across America, which was, which was fun. Those guys like to party. Um, (laughs) they party like it's 1998 all the time, dude. Uh, and yeah, man is, uh, uh, that was cool. That was a crazy experience because Eric and I basically Tucker from Thursday was playing drums in Aegis at that point. He played, he recorded the record with us and, uh, so we did the Get Up Kids tour with me, Eric, and so I'm playing bass, Eric's playing guitar, Tucker's playing drums, this guy Frank singing, and draw a quicksand tour, which was literally we had one day off and then we went on that tour. So it was cool. like get up kids to that, two different bands, but but only one different member. So so basically, <laughs> Tucker was playing drums for Primitive Weapons at the time as well. Yeah. So Eric and I switched instruments. He, okay. I became the guitar player. He became the bass player. Yeah. Tucker just sat behind the kit. Same shit. Yeah. And we switched singers, <laughs> and that was it. That, it was it was so wild because and we, it was it was I felt bad for Dave, the singer of Primitive Weapons, because like he's coming into us already having been on the road for like three weeks, you know, yeah. in the same car. We got all oh, our yep. shit in there and everything. Yep. You know. It was <laughs> And it, but, like, but it, and what it a was cool, great because like, both those tours were like so, so great. Yeah, you go
1: from Get Up Kids to Quicksand, and yeah. like, and, and th- like that's fucking awesome. What an awesome
0: run to have, dude. Yeah, it's so cool. It, it was straight up 1996, man. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah it, it was, and Glassjaw too. I mean, that was like, yeah, you know, seeing Glassjaw every night is just awesome. The, the most polarizing band in the world. So crazy. But uh, uh, more merch than you can shake a stick at. Yeah, I mean, it's freaking crazy. But yeah, great experiences. And I was like, I was like, I can't believe I'm still getting these opportunities, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Um. So, but, uh, but yes. So
1: after yeah. all, after all this, you're like, and 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 you have this venue that is like the it. You know, St. Vitus has become a destination place, like. You it's a big deal if somebody if, to play Saint Vitus,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a lot more well known as the owner of Saint Vitus than I ever was in any band I've ever been in. So, so <laughs> it's, weird. It's just funny. I was actually more well known as a as as being a bartender than than I was in any band I was in. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it is weird. And it Saint but but Saint Vitus, we treated it very much like a band. You know, it was like sure. You know, it was like it was a bunch of us and we each played our role yep. and you know, like the, the build out was recording the album and opening the doors was going on tour was the release. Yep. And then the next four years was our, us touring on the record, basically yeah. just trying to make it popular. Yeah. But that was always how I correlated it because it's, I don't know any other way to, to do anything. Of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was a, uh, it St. Vitus is a, is it's just a surreal, it's been a surreal experience. And you know, but very much so. Uh, a lot of it had to do with relationships that I established over the years sure. playing in bands. Yeah, you know, it's like I, I I pulled a lot of favors. You know, it's like bands like Hot Water Music or uh, or Quicksand or like a lot of these bands wouldn't even know what St. Vitus was. You know what I mean? So, like, I I pulled almost every card I could possibly pull. Sure, over time, I mean, and there was also you know Dave. Uh, the Booker, the singer from Print Weapons, is also like amazing at what he does. Right. And bringing in these, you know, these big bands to play our little shit place. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, Vitus is just like it's got a life of its own, man. It's like it's I I, I had no idea that I could do many of the things that I do for Saint Vitus. You know what I mean? It was like, yep, I was thrown into doing the books and the financials. I was thrown into you know, like just dealing with all these legalities in the city and it just. Just everything, you know, it was like uh, there was one day when the when the Descendants and Hot Water Music played uh, as a, like a surprise thing from, from Riot Fest. I was actually bartending that day and I got the call from Jason Black about them coming over to play. And then I had to deal with the Descendants. And then this band Judah from Italy was actually scheduled to play that night and they didn't go on till 2 a.m. So it was like basically dealing with all the bands and the people. There were 2,000 people online outside, like just chaos. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was it was a fun experience. I don't know how we didn't get closed down, but you know, this is a good example of like, uh, it's like, and you know, around every turn, somebody just throws another thing at me that I'm just like, I, what, what do I got to do? Right. Okay. Like, I guess I'll look up how to do that. Right. But it's, you know, it being, being, being the boss is, uh, it can be a little thankless. Sure. You know, it's like you make less money than the bartenders do. Right. You know, you, you, uh, uh, you can never ignore a text message. Nope. You know, it's like <laughs> everything, everything is on you. you. You know, it's like, it's, and then they realize that they can't just leave that night and let, like, you know, the clogged toilet can't stay. They got to, they actually have to fix it. Right. You know what I mean? It's like shit like that. When were, when you were just a bartender, you could just like leave shit. It's like, yeah, whatever. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, it's like, but at the same time, if you have a good boss, And you're the the right mindset for a bartender. It's you essentially are the owner for, for your shift. Like it's your responsibility to create the atmosphere. It's your responsibility to keep people safe. It's your responsibility to not overpour, not, you know, like there's just so many factors to it. So, you know, it's very much how I treat my employees. I'm just like, this is your, this is your house. Yeah. You know, like you have to have a sense of ownership. If you don't have a sense of ownership, you're just going to start stealing and, you know, Right. It's, you know, like I, 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 I would say that like my band leader experience came very, very in handy uh, with Absolutely. being a bar owner. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's going that you, uh, to, you, you um, have to navigate all the, you don't, don't realize,
0: you don't realize that you're, you're realize that you're, you're, you're collecting this, this skill set when it's no. happening. You know, it's just like, it's like, well, you know, I'm a lead singer, so I'd be a good bartender. Right. Like I drink, I can drink a lot, and I, I talk a lot. So there you go, boom, great, uh, it, and and it, it worked out. You know, it yeah. worked out really well. And you know, St. Vitus, like during the pandemic, we I mean, we did that Kickstarter, and like uh, we basically turned into a merch company. Yeah, that, that, like it amazed all of us. Like none of us expected the support that we got. Right. None of us expected like people to keep buying T-shirts and sweat you know underwear and like whatever else we're fucking selling you know it's it, it's wild but you know and there's there's always something bigger on the horizon with st Vitus. it's it's crazy you know and someday someday many of those things will happen we'll see but you know it's uh, right, right yeah. now it's uh, just concentrating on getting getting reopened and and doing doing what we got to do uh you know for for the sake of our employees for right. our sake right you know uh, it's uh it's a lot it's yeah. a lot and you know I, uh, you know, I, am I'm, I'm happy we made it through yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. A lot of people didn't. Yes. You know, we're, we're incredibly lucky, but you know, I gotta say the power of the brand goes way beyond. I mean, it's, it's so crazy, man. Like I'll go to a show and I'll see like four or five different people wearing a St. Vitus shirt. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not unlike somebody wearing your band shirt. You know what I mean? You're just like, I just want to hug them. It's like, thank you. Like, I don't know who the fuck they are. Right. You know, it's like, I've been overseas. Wait, like, dude, wait, we, we were in Helsinki Finland and we were backstage and this guy's like, Oh yeah. You know, I just got back from New York and I was at St. Vitus seven days in a row. And I'm like, Whoa. And i they like, just talking to us about all this shit. And I'm like, I'm like, you realize that like, we're in the band that's playing tonight. Right. Like, it's not like, you know, like we're not here because we're like the St. Vitus owners, right? I mean, we kind of were, but like, yeah, it was just like it's so funny. I was like, like, uh, oh, that's right, we got to play. Like, we're not just like you know talking shit with these uh, Finnish guys, right? It, it's uh, you know, it's it's wild. Like all these stupid little things that we we did, like from the the fucking duct tape that we made an upside down cross out of duct tape on the window, and yeah. it's a T-shirt now. It's been there for ten years. Like it was just duct tape that we had extra hanging around. It's like, hey, let's put an upside down cross on this. It's all shitty looking and stuff, like, uh, you know, just shit like that. That's, it, uh, I, you're doing things that become iconic, but uh, obviously, there's reasons why it's a the substance behind it is really what made it. Yes.
1: Yeah. You you yeah, man. It's, it's it's you you've given a place to these bands and these fans that feels like like and it's an extension of who you are as a musician. I really think it is. Like you guys. As musicians, it, it, saw what you're it could not be right about that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, right? You guys, exactly. I mean, I, I have a vivid memory of I, I came back from a tour with for Johnny Depp, and uh, during the build out, and they had they had just built the stage. Yeah, and uh, and it was like I got up on the stage, and I was like, I want to play here because yeah. I just came on this tour of playing. Like really shitty news in England could be, make it sound good, but the other thing about that is that because of all the touring experience, like you know I and my partners know what bands want, we know how to make the experience good like right, for a band, and what that shit spreads like wildfire, especially in a place like New York where it's not exactly easy, there aren't many of them, and you know we did what what we did was basically having no rules. So, you know, like most other venues like a Mercury lounge or something, they, they won't let you film a show, but we just let anybody film whatever they wanted because we were like, well, if they film it and then it goes on YouTube, it's goes beyond these four walls. And then, you know, like all of a sudden there's like this, you know, people know who we are, the bands benefit from it because it's high quality video. You know, it's like, like we were basically having all this content created and, you know, that really, really helps solidify the brand a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, it it really came down to the simple shit where it's like, treat people nice and you will, you know, they'll they, they all come back. Like the Nirvana yep. thing happened because of that very reason. There's a guy named Jim Rota who yep. plays in a band called Fireball Ministry. And yeah. he had played with another band, uh Ed Vitus, and he's the... He's one of the heads of Dave Grohl's uh, production company. Mm-hmm. And when they talked about the Rockwell Hall of Fame thing, he went right to Dave. And he had Dave's ear and he was like, you're going to love this place. You should totally play here. Right. And it took a little bit. Uh, like I had to, I definitely had to like sell the place yeah. to the management company. But, but, uh, you know, it, it all came down to this one guy and his girl, Denise, who was also in her production company, who was a regular at the bar they were just like screaming at Dave, like, no, you've got to play here. You've got to play here. And lo and behold, they did, you know, and that was, I mean, the Nirvana thing I would say out of any experience was the biggest game changer for St. yeah, because that went international, you know, it yes. was like the next day we were being written up in Rolling Stone. And like, I, I think at eight o'clock in the morning, I had gone, I Googled, I did like the Google alert thing. Oh. And, article that was funny 2, 200 times on news sites all over the world Holy! it was in like every language i was like this is nuts and it'll happen in four hours and i was like what's gonna happen in a week man like this is nuts but you know it was like you know thank you to to dave grohl and and like all those people were just so easy to work with what a joy i mean if everybody could be the nirvana uh the the foo fighters crew man holy shit but uh yeah, I mean and that it was bonkers. And after that happened, like everybody wanted to do a secret show. Of course, you know. So it's like <laughs> after that, I think we got against me, and we got saves a day, and we got refused, and we got you know, like it just it just went and went and went and went and went. And uh, you know, it it was super fun. You know, I, I, and uh, I, I'll say that 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 experience and that that week, keeping it definitely. A, a challenging experience. It, it literally took years off my off my life. Oh, Just sure. like the whole the whole experience, it was so nerve wracking because we were they were people were invited via uh, I think they invited via like DM tweets or some shit, and okay. it was all very last minute. And if somebody had retweeted or said anything about it, we would have had three thousand people show up. Yep. You know, and it was a it was a private event. It was Dave Grohl's party. Yep, and you know so it was like we they showed up two hours late it it was just a shit show we were we were able actually to get about 40 of our friends in um which thank god we did because maybe 100 people were left by the time they went on like about at one point there was about two or 300 people there but then it got to like two two o'clock in the morning and they hadn't even gone on yet and like everybody was in there like mid fifties to mid sixties. So they're just like, yeah, we're leaving. This is like, you know, I think Courtney love was there for like five minutes and uh, you know, so, so it was, it was empty when they played, it was literally like, like the people who played with them. So it was like Carrie Brownstein, St. Vincent, yeah. Jay um, Joan Jett, uh, uh, Kim Gordon. They were the front row. They yeah. were all standing in the front row. And
1: Fuck. then,
0: you know, then it was the rest of us behind us. And like, I, I think I only went in during when mask is to drain you, I think was the only song I actually watched. Cause it was just like, I mean, I never watch any of the shows cause by the time the band goes on, I'm fucking done. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wild, man. It was just like, I, was like what the f- I felt like I was watching TV. Yeah. And, does- and one, one secret about that is that it was professionally felt. They did a, they did a full five camera shoot and it was all edited. And like apparently HBO offered them money for it, but they said no. So at some point that show might actually come out as like a full thing. I, one, one of my partners has seen a lot of the edited footage. Yeah, and apparently it's great. But unfortunately, Chris Novoselic was blind drunk by the time they played. Like he had a pint glass of Maker's Mark, and he he hit a lot of bad notes. So yeah. you know there there was that. But I mean. I don't remember. I mean, they could easily fix that up. I'm sure. But, uh, but yeah, it's, there's, there's a shit ton of footage from that show. That's like, like professionally done. uh, Dave Grohl flew his whole production company up for it. Uh, you know, nobody knows about, you know, it's like, it's so crazy. Megadeth as well. They had a full four camera shoot. No shit. uh, I think they, they released one song during the pandemic, but anyway, but, uh, but yeah, man, like it's, uh, the, the those experiences are like i it, i don't know man like i'm i'm a, I'm a lucky guy you know like, yes. i guess a, a lot of this shit just kind of falls in our lap but you know at the same time i do feel like it's a bit of you know cyclical karma you know what, what comes around goes around you know and like I, i've always tried to treat the people i work with with respect you know in the industry like i i i almost always was friends with the people I worked with and the bands, we always became really close with bands we toured with. So, you know, it's like, just like being cool and relaxed. You know, I'll say that, you know, not being under a tremendous amount of financial stress is helpful with all that, even though we're always under financial stress here in New York. Yep. Um, But the way Vitus was set up made it a lot lot easier for us to get away with some of the shit that we did. You know, we, we could lose money on a show and it wouldn't be the end of the world because we'd be making it up at the bar. Right. You know, so it kind of right. evens itself out. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I just I definitely feel like, you know, in the modern music industry, there's no room for assholes anymore. Right. You can't be an asshole. Right. You can't be an asshole for it because nobody will put up with their shit anymore. Right. Nobody's that big that they'll put up with your shit. They'll right. just fucking be like later. We don't want to deal with you. We'll deal right. with somebody else who's cooler, you know. And uh, it's uh, it's it's been interesting to see, you know, uh, like because we've had people like David Mustaine, right? He's got a pretty bad reputation, yeah. for being a crazy person. As it turns out, he's actually really nice. <laughs> like, oh well, you know, <laughs> okay. and, and, like it just there's I, I haven't yeah I I I, I personally haven't had a bad experience i've had bad experience with tour managers and that's mostly where, where it comes down to is the people yeah. around the bands yeah but the bands are always really cool man you know it's yeah. just like yeah, an, an appreciative like somebody like dave lombardo dave lombardo played with one of his side bands he walked into the bar and he was like this is awesome i can't wait to play i was like you're dave lombardo <laughs> like what you know like and then there's other bands that like i've walked in and been like what, you know the crew will be like, "Why the fuck are we playing here, man? This is ridiculous." Blah blah. blah you know, like yeah. bitching and moaning. I'm like, "So don't fucking play, dude. Yeah. Fuck off. Leave." It's like, okay, easy there. You know, road tech. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, kudos to those guys because they've all been out of work for a year. So you yeah, know, I understand why they can be grumpy. Sure. But uh, sure. but yeah, man, it's uh, again, like you know, I there's just no room for assholes. And yeah, you know, so you try your best not to be an asshole. And if you encounter a couple assholes, you just kind of like go, okay. Yeah. You yeah. do your thing and we'll just get this over with. We only have to see each other for a couple hours, so Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's all very temporary. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, it's uh it, it's cool. And uh, you know, like I I look forward to another ten years of of doing Vitus and expanding what we what we've done and you know, like uh I'm still playing music and playing in a band called The Twin now, whose album's gonna be out pretty soon. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, it's a, it's been a challenging experience just because like, I'm not really a lead guitar player, but I'm playing lead guitar in the band. and Whoops. And, uh, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's all, it's a little bit weird, but, uh, and I've also been working on a solo record for ever. Oh, wow. It's like Everything's been written, but, but I'm just like, not well, because I'm not like a solo guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I like being in bands Yeah, and, uh, but it's like, I got to a point where I was like, i'm arra- I'm writing and arranging every part, you know, so it's like okay, so I guess this, this is a solo record, I don't know, yeah, but uh you know I, but I want it to be a band, and like right now, I don't have time to play in two bands, and right. you know it's just it, it all it's for some reason it's all very daunting starting a new band now, yeah, you know what I mean it's like yeah, all the effort you have to go in it's like shit, you know, and it's like and it's like I got a kid, you know, like she kind of is a priority in the situation yeah. so. Yeah. You know, I can't just I can't just fuck off to England for three weeks anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah. say, like those days are gone. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So basically, you know, what I'm saying is that I've been able to monetize my music experience and and my uh, my my ability to drink a lot. Right. Um, and, you know, so that's that's the most fun I get to have. Yeah. And
1: you <laughs> haven't completely lost your fucking mind either. Like it, this, you, your mental state could be a lot worse. I mean, you've seen, you've seen some of your peers go down under, under the duress
0: of it. Yeah, all, so. yeah. Well, I never, I never did. I've never done drugs. It's not my oh, thing. That helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does help a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen, I've seen some of my friends go, go dark side, but I got to say a, a lot of my friends are sober now and yeah, uh, for good reason. You know, it's like, I'm always happy when, you know, even if they have to, like, find God or whatever, good sure. whatever it takes, man, just don't, you know, don't lose it. Yeah. But uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of people go down. And it's, uh, but, you know, uh, most of them bounce back. And, you know, it, it's with extreme situations comes extreme personalities. Of you know, like, if you really look at being in a band, if you look at my, you, you can just look at my lifestyle over the past 25 years. It's weird. It's definitely weird, you know. Like yeah. I, I don't, I don't think for a second that any of it is fucking normal, you know. But there, there are guys who come out. Look at look at Walter. You know, Walter's, he, he, you know, he's a, he's Walter. He's flaky and weird, but like he's, you know, he's a pretty normal guy for yeah. you know. And he hasn't had mega success, but he said he's made a living, right? And right. he's been smart with his money. Yeah. You know, it's like they're just like you don't have to be a total fuck up freak to be successful. Right. You know, you yep. can yep. you can be a a middle-class musician, shall we say? Yes. You know, yeah. and it's, I, I gotta say, you know, there's just, there's more normal people than abnormal people. But again, with extreme music, with extreme scenes comes extreme personalities. Right. And, right, you know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to navigate all that. Right. But uh, yeah, man, I, it's, it's nice of you to say that I turned out normal, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't feel normal, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's not a normal. <laughs> In any way, shape or form. Right. I, I still, I still have my, uh, my, my crazy, my crazy days, you know, was like just completely beside myself I mean, my anxiety. I didn't sleep. I was like waking up at 9am and sh- sneaking drinks like yeah. shit like that. Yeah. Which is yeah. just really so unhealthy. And you know, like, uh, I, I just, I couldn't live like that. And no. I, w- I was, I, at that point I was pretty much a crazy person. So sure you're seeing me on the other end of it all. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I, I I lost the plot for a little bit there and uh, and my landlords for, you know, bringing me back, pulling me back in. Right. It was, it was, it was fucking scary, man. It was scary for everybody. You know, like, uh, it's it's not just me, but obviously I can only talk about my own situation (laughs) and, you know, what a, horrible horrible experience that was you know but on the other hand nobody i know died um only a few people i know got sick yeah and uh you know so in that respect you know it's it's all good and you know i happen to live in a place where people want to get vaccinated as opposed to where you live which is probably not the case yes. but <laughs> yeah. And yeah yeah you're in you're in toledo right or yep, in the toledo area yep yep so- yeah i yeah, Dayton, Dayton particularly can get pretty hicky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rednecky, shall we say? Yeah. But, uh yeah, I mean I I, I it's it, it, uh, you this, know, I, again I consider myself unlucky for good yeah, delay. Uh, yeah. There there's uh, uh yeah, go ahead. Um uh, there
1: there is this like there's that part of it where like you, you guys are fortunately in a spot, like, as hectic as that pandemic was for New York and, you know, like, chaotic, at least, like you're saying, you at least are surrounded by a large portion of the popu- of the population that actually want to do the right thing, that want to get back to normalcy in a way that goes, okay, if this benefits the majority, let's do this, as opposed to, you know, through going out throughout the Midwest where people are just – for whatever reason, like actively choosing to not do that, but expecting to have the life that was there before I'm hoping for, like in a person you're in your situation where your business relies on people doing the better thing, doing the right thing for the, the betterment of, of,
0: uh, of the mass. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, also vaccination is a necessity here in New York because it's so expensive here to live right. and just operate that like these businesses have to be open yeah. they If they're not open and then there's no city, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just like it happened and you know, yeah, what you are saying, like for the better good, that's, that's what this is. You know, like yeah. I, once I was fully vaccinated, I was just like, okay, first of all, I'm not wearing a fucking mask anymore. I'm done with it. Right. But like, you know, we were still like being cautious here, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, the people who are unvaxxed, that's their own fucking problem. Like yes. I no longer have to worry about this. You know, it's like, I'm protected as far yep. as I know, you know, it's like, uh, but very much so that it just in New York in general, like people play ball, they want masks, they social distance, they, you know, like there wasn't a lot of, of you know, Trumpy, no Freedom mask wearing bullshit here. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Like, uh, not wearing a mask. It makes me not free. And yeah, do I feel a little bit like a schlep wearing a mask? Sure. I mean, what is it threatening my manhood? Who gives a right, shit? Right. Yeah. You know, it's just like, just, just do it. Just do yeah. it. It's common courtesy for, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been a crazy year, but, you know, I, like I said, in the beginning of this, like, we, uh, shit's come back so fast so fast it's almost too fast where like for some people i know like they're like whoa you know there's too many people too many people and and there were some people who enjoyed the pandemic you know where they you know people who are who are don't like being in crowds and don't like the hustle and bustle of new york city you know they they were more than happy to sit behind a computer and you know and lucky enough to not to still have a job right you know it's uh it was it's it was different for everybody but you know like as a bar owner and somebody who deals with things on social levels, this was, you know, it was, it had to end. It had to go away. Yeah. It's a um, my battery's going to die. All good. On dude. My phone. Yeah. Um, my battery's so, going to die on my phone. So, uh, yeah.
1: um, I, but before we go, I'll let everybody know where they can follow you and, and support what you're doing.
0: Uh, well, my Instagram is, uh, at Arthur J shepherd. Uh, um, and, uh, I think my, it's just my name on Facebook. I don't really know how to do these things. Uh, uh St. Vitus you can Bar. go to St. Vitus, Bar, yeah. St. St. Vitus bar.com. Uh, you can email me at my old email, which I still have. R type 11 is my email. No joke. <laughs> I can't um, confirm. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so funny. Yeah. People, people love that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, man, uh, yeah. Look out for the twin, which, uh, I think there's a, there's a video out there some, somewhere, somewhere yep. right now. It's on mind Never matter records, oddly enough. Um, and, uh, yeah, man. Awesome. You know, fucking come see type when we finally play again. Yeah. You know, I'm sure awesome. we will.
1: Awesome. Hey, Artie, dude, thank you so we much. Can't for Stay away from each other. No. <laughs> hey man, thank you so much for coming thank you, on the brother. show. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, we'll talk to all you guys next week. Later.